Um, honey, where did the road go? Hell if I know. Wait a minute. Is that Soraya Azkath? It must be episode 47 of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin. I'm Michelle. And I am Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. All right. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hello, everyone. It is the weekend. Absolutely. And welcome to episode 47 of the podcast. This is being released on February 11th, 2023. So, Michelle, here we are back again for another episode at the beginning of season three. And you know what this podcast does. It is the only podcast that takes you down the rabbit hole on an escalator. Of course. Oh, remember, After the Cast Live, coming to you next Saturday, February 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook to talk about the latest interview, UFOs, cryptids, the paranormal, and of course, your comments. Make sure to mark your calendar and check it out. You know, Michelle, those uh, live shows are a lot of fun, especially getting to interact with all the people that come into our uh, chat room it's really fun it is we've got some great regulars that come on the show so and plus we want those new folks to join as well join come join the conversation absolutely so speaking of conversations and stories if you have a story you would like to tell we would like to talk to you you can reach out to us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a brief summary of your experience and we'll contact you to discuss things further and try to get you or your story on the podcast. Yeah, it's always great to hear from you guys. And we're actually starting to hear from some person. And I'm not going to release their name, but they are sending us. Uh, we'll call him Sam. Okay, Sam has been sending us some videos of late of some UFO and paranormal activity, which looks amazing. So after we review some of this stuff and we talk to him further, we may be airing some of this on our live stream. So not sure exactly when, but just to let everybody know, we are working on that and uh, we'll get back with you soon. Kind of a cliffhanger. We've got something coming soon. We do. We do. And last night, February 9th, 2023, I was a guest on the YouTube channel, Not Aliens, which is hosted by one of our former guests on this podcast, Jared Murphy, and also now a friend of ours. And uh, it's hosted by Jared Murphy and the great Jim Goodall. And we talked about the thing we've been working on for a while here, and that is the expedition um, that is going to do the preliminary investigation down to Belize because 
we were tipped off to two undiscovered pyramids down in the country of Belize. And so we have put together a first team, basically a first team for contact, and it's currently being assembled for this trip, and it's going to be a very exciting time, and the discovery is surely going to cause waves in the ancient history world. So the first team right now consists of scientists, documentarians, explorers, LIDAR operators, and the like. I unfortunately will not be joining the initial exploration because I have other commitments for other trips this year. And it's called he'll be in the classroom. (laughs) That too. (laughs) However, we are looking for people to join the team that can lend knowledge to this site. So anybody that's got skills and knowledge in exploration, mapping, those kind of things, we're definitely looking for more people that want to go. So we are also looking for some financial backers to help plan more expeditions and get this discovery out to the world. So if you are interested in joining the team in either capacity, you can contact me at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com or Jared Murphy at notaliensitsus at gmail.com. And anything you send to me in regards to this expedition and the teams that we're putting together for this, I will forward that along to Jared as well. So come and help out. This is going to be amazing, undiscovered territory, man. So I don't know, Michelle, it's it's awesome. Well, and, you know, our own shout out, too. If you would also like to help support the podcast, stay active, look in the show description for our link tree and click on that. There are so many options linked in there to keep the research and the conversation going. So just check out our link tree after the show. And also a quick shout out to our patron, Hava H., who is a continuing supporter of the podcast. And it's with people like Hava out there that are helping us keep things going and and uh, getting involved in all kinds of things. So thank you very much, Hava. And if uh, you want to help support the podcast, there's many different ways to do it. Hit that link tree down below in the show notes. Yeah. Speaking of giving a shout out, I think it's time. I, I think we need to go grab some dinner before we continue this show from our favorite local diner. Hey, baby. It's New Boston Coney and Grill. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Traveling near New Boston, Michigan? Hungry? Well, then, you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 Huron River Drive. With daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family, you will not be disappointed. Give them a try for dine-in or carry-out at 734-606-5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon Appetit! Well, after that delicious meal, Michelle, I think it's that time. It's time for What's in the News. Yeah, baby, I just got done eating. What is in the news? Ah. Coming from Wired. Spotted a UFO? There's an app for that. Enigma Labs launches a project to crowdsource and quantify data about unidentified aerial phenomena. 
So the tech startup Enigma Labs wants to turn UFO sightings into data science. So is is this saying, government, you're not doing your job, so here, let's be this outsourced company that does our own thing? All I'm going to add to that <sighs> is there's some shady things going on with this, and that's about all I know at this point. So um, I know Richie over at Goofon Radio has got a very strong opinion about this. I haven't dug personally into the whole Enigma Labs as to who they are or what they are. But yeah, let's just see what the article is. Maybe everybody can put the, the app on their phone. <laughs> Previously, people who had seen strange lights darting around the sky could do no more than tell their friends or call intelligence agencies. Soon anyone with a smartphone will be able to use an app to report an unexplainable event as it happens. <laughs> like a plane going over a... <laughs> Enigma Labs mobile app was released today. So initially on an invitation only basis as they work out the bugs, although they plan to make it available to the wider public. For now, it'll be a free to download and use, although the company could later charge for additional features. The company will not just be amassing new data. It has already gobbled up data on around 300,000 global sightings over the past century and included them in their system. And while their data set will be available to the public, their algorithms for assessing it will not. Ooh, really mm. interesting. By the way, um, this was written and posted January 31st, 2023. So. Um, at our core, we're a data science company. So this is in quotes. We're building the first data and community platform exclusively dedicated to the study of unidentified anomalous phenomena says Mark Douglas, chief operating officer of the New York-based company. So how do they explain the the MUFON reports that have been going on for years and um, the National UFO Reporting Center? They've been doing this for years, and they only folk, oh, wait a minute, I see what they're doing here, the unidentified anomalous phenomenon. So they just changed the name, so they, they officially are collecting the first data sets. Very well done. I don't know. People need to look at this article. The The app is like, what was the shape? Was it a light? Was it a circle? A sphere? A triangle? A disc? It's got literally 12 different choices of what shape you saw. Anyhow, how, part of their goal is to reduce the stigma of reporting something unexplainable, even if the viewer doesn't actually think it's visiting aliens. For the record, some government agencies and companies like Enigma Labs now use the term UAPs instead of UFOs. So, unidentified anomalous phenomena. And it used to be aerial phenomena. I was going to say, now we're going with the third item, rather than unidentified flying objects. The change is meant to encompass a broad range of objects that might not have an extraterrestrial origin and to make the terminology sound less pejorative. Identifying an unknown and distant object or explaining a phenomenon one has never seen before poses a unique challenge. Nevertheless, the app asks users structured questions like when and where in the sky the user saw something and approximately what shape the object had. It also gives them space to tell their sighting story and provide more details, and they can upload a photo or a video. 
It's a bit like citizen science projects in which volunteers help classify telescope images of galaxies. But in this case, the images are submitted by volunteers and most of the classification is done by an algorithm. Well, you know, they just released an update to this just like 30 seconds ago. And one of the questions they ask is, did you do any TikTok videos of a dance challenge with an alien? (laughs) Oh, okay. So the company wants to do more than just... (laughs) I mean, am I wrong? Okay, so the company wants to do more than just ingest lots of data, though. They want to apply their proprietary models to rule out things that are not UAPs. Stepping good, stepping good. (laughs) Such as by determining whether there's lightning or unclassified aircraft nearby. And they want to filter the credibility of the data sources as well, distinguishing between high credible military pilots, trained observers with, you know, corroboration from multiple sensors, and then at the opposite end of the spectrum, a single witness who maybe had a few drinks too many and saw a point of light in a a sky, Douglas says. Stepping good, stepping good. So... (laughs) (laughs) We can have fun being by the airport and just start reporting everything that we see. Yep. There's a Delta flight. There's Spirit. There's That looks like a wing shape to me. There's a wing shape. Oh, it's a Chevron. It's a Chevron. Every time a plane flies over to land at Detroit Metro, we have to do a little dance. It's like, if your name is Jim Joe Bob, you're not a credible witness. But if you're a sergeant. All right, Michelle, calm down and get back to this. The core Jeez. issue, to, the core issue to studying this has been a data problem. What is credible? What is not? Who is credible? Who is not? He argues what we're trying to do is bring a level of standardization and rigor to that. Oh, oh God! Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, as a teacher, we already hear the word rigor enough. Okay, so. Of course, the challenge will be applying scientific standardization to something that might not be scientific at all. Eyewitness testimony is notoriously unreliable, and people interpret what they see based on factors like current events and their scientific, political, and cultural backgrounds. The data you're getting is socially constructed, says University of Pennsylvania historian Kate Dorsch who specializes in scientific knowledge production. All right, we'll leave that one alone. Mm. UFO sightings began as an American obsession following World War II and the Roswell incident in 1947, when people in New Mexico found mysterious debris that may or may not have come from a crashed military balloon. Sightings quickly spread across most of the world, Dorsch says, and interest in Roswell as well as the U.S.'s and USSR's nascent space programs may have encouraged people to think of lights in the sky as alien technology. But, she continues, there were fewer UFO sightings after the Soviet Union launched the Sputnik satellite in 1957 when people saw something weird in the sky. They chalked it up as a human-made spacecraft. And the geopolitics of where you live matters, too. Today, she says, when Germans witness strange phenomenon, they often attribute them to Russian and American-made craft. When you're looking for something in particular, that is what you'll see, she says. Government agencies have also been interested in reports of UFOs for national security reasons, since sightings of flying saucers might actually be sightings of a rival secret aircraft. 
or if the craft was actually the nation's own classified project, descriptions of the sighting might reveal how it appears to others. Yeah, so it says here, agencies within the U.S. government have expressed renewed interest in UAPs over the past several years. The Pentagon released a report in June 2021 assessing 144 incidents witnessed by military pilots dating back to 2004, only one of which investigators could thoroughly explain. Last May, the House of Representatives held a hearing on UAPs at which government and defense officials spoke about the report and the national security and flight safety issues it raised. Last year, the Defense Department also formed a new organization, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, to coordinate efforts to detect, identify, and attribute objects of interest near military areas. They're already getting UFO reports. Scott Bray, Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, who spoke at the House hearing, says that the frequently reported presence of unauthorized or unidentified aircraft is a safety and security concern. Airspace is increasingly cluttered with balloons, drones, quadcopters, UAVs, and the list goes on. So especially when you consider the improvements in sensors, it's no surprise that we have an increase in UAP reports, wrote Bray in an email to Wired. This makes the destigmatization, reporting standardization, the data management work done by the UAP task force, all the more critical because these are the keys to being able to distinguish between an errant balloon and a foreign intelligence or other type of threat to national security. Kind of like that balloon they blew up the other day. Yeah. Watch. I wonder how many millions of dollars it took to shoot a missile into a balloon when the pilot could have just flew by and dropped a pin on it. And in October, NASA announced a nine-month independent study to figure out how data from government and commercial groups... Money, money, money. (laughs) Somebody's getting paid. Could be used to shed light on UAPs and what the agency could do in the future to analyze data from sightings. A NASA spokesperson declined an interview but said the agency will have an update on the study this spring. Enigma Labs also isn't the only private UFO-related effort. The company... To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, (laughs) co-founded by Blink-182 guitarist Tom DeLonge, employs scientists and former government employees to bring UFO research, sometimes called ufology, into the mainstream. Dorsch says that no matter who is collecting the data, she hopes these groups will engage with users transparently and in good faith by not exploiting their data for financial gain or making people feel disrespected. I believe that the overwhelming number of people who have seen a UFO have had an experience that they cannot explain, she says. The UFO community deserves to be taken seriously. I agree with her 100% on that last statement. Yeah, I do too, but there's something fishy about this and people take it for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, once you start getting into this, this can get really, really messy. Yeah, I don't even think TS the TTSA is even around anymore, or if it is, it's like way on the fringe because, I don't know, Lou Elizondo and all those guys left the TTSA. So anyways, I don't know, people, you guys be the judge. I don't know. I'm going to get the app and go stand by the airport. Coffee in hand. I'm just going to click away. Everything's a Chevron. <laughs> well, you know, that's what people will end up doing, you know, but well, anyways, Don't do that if you're listening to this. Don't do that, okay? (laughs) Totally. 
Totally no, sabotage and mess stop, with that app. Stop it, Michelle. <laughs> All right. Well, that was an interesting news article. I think we should now just get ready to jump into this interview with Soraya Azkath of Where Did the Road Go? So, Michelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about Soraya before we jump into this interview? So Soraya has been studying the unknown for over 30 years and is currently working on a couple of books about it. His studies have spanned the world of the unexplained UFOs and lost civilizations have been a strong focus throughout, but he has delved into most subjects involved in this work. He has also had a lifetime of strange experiences. He has been in radio for over 25 years, hosting a heavy metal based show called The Last Exit for the Lost. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, please help us welcome to the podcast for the first time, veteran paranormal and UFO podcaster, Soraya Azkath. Thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, absolutely. This is a uh, great. I first in, in my wife and I, we were kind of talking backstage a little bit, are kind of new to this. This is only like our third year starting, you know, into this. And uh, it started with our experience, which a lot of our audience already knows about. So I'm not going to jump all the way back into that. But I had heard you a couple times on the um, brothers of the serpent podcast and the last one you did was with uh marty yeah yeah and that was i was blown away i think i've listened to it now like two or three times and i i've got all of his ufo series mm -hmm. saved and he even talked to the snake bros about uh michelle and i's experience because we had them on our show when we first started our first year they came on and, and talked with us and uh, still want to get them back on, but man, that was a, that was a great conversation. And, and I'm like listening to you talking about, well, Demu Borger behind me is a death metal band <laughs> this over here, you know? And I'm like, wait a minute, how come I don't know this dude, man? Cause it was like, he's talking my language. He's, you know, I'm waiting for him to talk about emperor and cannibal corpse and all this stuff, you know? And, uh, I was like, man, that's really cool. So, man, again, thank you for joining us. This is a, an honor and a privilege for us. Thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. Ask <laughs> Michelle's supposed to ask you the first question. <laughs> you know, he doesn't tell me these things. He just kind of points, snaps, and it's like, woman, you ask questions. <laughs> unga bunga. Let's go. So, uh, Soraya, as a veteran of podcasting in the realm of the fringe and the high strangeness, paranormal, etc., can you give our audience a brief look into who Soraya Ascath is and how did you get involved in all of this? Oh, God. I, that's a big open-ended yeah. question. Yeah. This is where my students right now would go, how many sentences do I need to write? <laughs> It's more how how can I shorten this to a palatable bit? Um, I I've been in radio for almost twenty nine years, 
doing a metal show. And back in like 2012, I, 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 the short version is I hated talk radio because my dad used to listen to Rush Limbaugh religiously. Drove me nuts. So I just hated talk radio in general. But I really started getting into Graham Hancock's stuff when I discovered him. And he had posted he was going to be on Coast to Coast. And I'm like, well, I don't like talk radio, but I really want to hear Graham Hancock talk. And so I tuned in and listened to the whole thing. I'm like, okay, apparently I just don't like Rush Limbaugh because <laughs> I loved listening to that. And so I started digging up more of his coast to coast appearances and so on and so forth. And then looking at other shows, there were only, there weren't a billion shows out back then. This was like 2010, 2011. And finally was hearing some, I mean, some of them were good, but I was hearing one where the, you know, the, the host is getting to talk to all these cool people and they're, they don't even know anything. You know, they're barely paying attention to the conversation. I'm like, I want to talk to these people. These are the people I want. And you don't seem to care. And that's frustrating. So I said, can I do this? You know, I figured well, I'm already in the radio station. Let me ask at the radio station. And initially they didn't respond to me. And I thought, yeah, you didn't like that idea, did you? And then someone went, no, no, no. It sounds like a good idea. I asked them again. So I asked the program director again. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I love this idea. When do you want to start? And I was like, oh, now I actually have to put something together. So I didn't know what I was starting with. Um, if it was just going to be a few of my friends and I talking about this stuff, uh, I happened to hear Jim Elvich on Coast to Coast. And he had written a book called The Universe Solved about simulation theory. And I was like, oh, this I really like this guy. This seems he would be a great first guest. And it turns out he went to Cornell and was familiar with the radio station I'm at. So he was more than happy to come on and do the first show. And that just pushed me in the direction of doing mostly interviews for the first couple of years. Um, but yeah, so it's like that that's the very short abbreviated version. It was just kind of a thing. The first person I ever interviewed, I actually interviewed on my metal show. Uh, I had um, Walter Cruttenton on who wrote the lost star of myth and time because I really, really liked the book. And I, I talked to him about it and he said, yeah, I'll do this. And you know, we got done and I was nervous through the whole thing. And I got done. I'm like, how was it? He's like, that was great. You should definitely do this as a show. And I went, okay. All right. Sold. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, with my wife and I were new to this and then I heard you on the snake brother, you know, brothers of the serpent or the snake right. bros. And I was like, I need to find out more about you. And so I went on your website and so I want to kind of kick things off a little bit by reading something to our audience. And this is a section off of your website, the about section. And it says, where did the road go? Aims to go deeper than your average fringe aimed talk show. We ask hard questions without being overtly confrontational. We support the work of our guest. We want to bring their ideas and research to a, as wide an audience as possible, while also viewing it as in many directions as possible. We are not interested in wild speculation, although some speculation can be fun and constructive. We seek out the most interesting researchers and avoid the pop culture that is so overexposed today. As a result, you will hear from some people that you would not have heard otherwise. We cover the paranormal in all its forms, ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, cryptids, psychic abilities, etc. We heavily explore lost civilizations, which I'm very into, in many directions. We talk of cataclysms and the cycle of ages. And I find this extremely 
extremely well said and just an overall beautiful statement that encapsulates what I think the podcasting and what Michelle and I actually try to do. So can you talk about what really made you go this direction with the podcast? And just as a side note to everybody, um, this statement is, is just a section, a small section of the about where you go into more detail about what you guys and, and yourself you're doing with your show. Yeah. Um, but I just, I read that and I, I was taken back by about how well thought out and welcoming that was for a show. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff, and it's even more prevalent now where you just get this sensationalistic nonsense perpetrated everywhere. Uh, and you get these people who are telling you exactly what's going on, even though they can't prove anything. Like, that's that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in what's actually going on. I don't have like a preset agenda that I'm trying to uh, to kind of hit, you know, like it's not. I'm looking for as many answers as we can find, but generally what you find is better questions that kind of narrow down what's going on. So my, my whole thing was to pull in these people who were original thinkers, uh, people like Joshua Kutchin and such, who, you know, had a different way of looking at this stuff that other people hadn't. Um, Greg Bishop's another great example of that, but it was those people that I talked to and be like, okay, I, I want you to be heard by more people because people need to think about this. If they're really interested in it, they need to think about this in a much more complex way. It's not as simple as, Oh, Bigfoot's an undiscovered ape. Well, there might be, there might be an undiscovered ape out there, but most Bigfoot accounts are probably not of an undiscovered ape unless you, you know, sensationalize it and cut away all the other stuff that doesn't fit the description of, uh, undiscovered ape and you know just like ufos being extraterrestrial it's not impossible certainly but it's also not the most likely scenario based on everything we know so i just like to bring in people who were thinking differently looking at things differently were able to kind of keep their biases out of it as much as possible and just be you know intellectually honest in what they were dealing with and I, there wasn't a lot of that around back then. That's the other thing. There were only a handful of shows that fit that description. Most of them were very, uh, well, very sensationalistic, very, you know, oh, here's a spooky story. Here's this. It wasn't delving into any kind of depth of anything. Yeah, well said. And, you know, one of the things that I've found, too, is that there are these people out there now. Um, I don't know where you would classify them. You know, if you don't have some kind of evidence, your story's not good enough. So right. were there super skeptics or debunkers? And I know you had mentioned something about that on your website yeah. as well. Um, well. Can you dig into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, the idea of a skeptic is someone who asks questions. You don't just accept the first thing that comes along. You keep questioning. People who call themselves skeptics, like professional skeptics, they're not skeptics. They already have their mind made up that this stuff doesn't exist. So they're just looking for whatever explanation, however ridiculous it might be, to explain it away, move the goalposts, et cetera. There was uh, Dr. Bem, who worked in Cornell, did some uh, experiments with precognition. And his, he was able to show that people would react to images of sex or violence before the computer even chose the random image. And this was pretty consistent. Like they're, they're, you would see the response in their brains. And 
you know, initially it was dismissed as, oh, well, the, you know, the machines must have been off or whatever, because there's only a few milliseconds. But still, it shouldn't have happened a few milliseconds before the computer chose the image. Um, and the reason those images uh, in particular is because they create a very strong reaction in most people's brains. You, it lights up. Um, so his almost like a precognition. Right. So they were reacting to it before it was shown. And his research was duplicated. It was it was peer reviewed. It was completely accepted as much as they didn't want to accept it. And a lot of these skeptics were like, oh, well, if that's the case, maybe the way we're doing science is wrong because we know he's we know this isn't true. So instead of accepting the data based on what we've accepted as scientific evidence for you know a century or two, now suddenly they're like, well, we're going to just change the rules because we know it's not true. Yeah, so that's that's just a denier. I mean, yeah. and, and they're, they're denying the data. It's 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 like a religion to them of this is how things are. Um, it's dogmatic. It's not, and I don't care about those people. Honestly, when someone says you have to prove it to me, I'm like, no, I don't. You can believe whatever you want. I don't care. It doesn't change what's really out there. I was listening to a show recently that you had on. Um, it was your December 17th, 2022 show. And the reason I'm asking this is because we recently had on as our season two finale, we had on Kathy Martin who came on our show and she talked about her aunt and uncle, which everybody probably knows at this point is Betty and Barney Hill mm -hmm. and their abduction experience. And she was telling us about the evidence of their uh, traumatic abduction and stuff that went on. Um, but one of your guests was speaking about how many intelligence personnel yeah, were Ren. connected to this case. Yep. Ren Collier. Um, yeah. So do you know much about that? And I don't. And I actually plan okay. to have him come on to talk about it more because I, oh, I know okay. that I know like uh, the guy who hypnotized them had some intelligence connections. I think, I think we talked about it briefly on the UFO history show, which will be the one that goes public uh, probably tonight or tomorrow. Okay. Um, and that's, I think Mike Cleland said, yeah, he had some some intelligence connections, but they weren't anything that would have uh, compromised like like he wasn't a spook or anything. So I don't know. I got to talk to Ren more and have him come back on and talk about it because I'm not overly familiar with that. Yeah, this was the first I heard of it. I mean, I've heard of things like uh, the CIA has, you know, an agent in every radio, sh you know, news station or. Oh, yeah. You know, these kind of things going on. Uh, but this was the first I heard specifically about the Betty and Barney Hill and people working around them being involved. Yeah, it's not actually new. He just went a little further with it. Um, okay. I can't remember who wrote the book. Was it Fuller? Yeah, I don't remember who he said because it was, like you said, a short little blurb, but it stood yeah. out to me because we had, like I said, we had Kathy Martin on and I was like, oh, Okay, this sounds really interesting because I was going to follow up with you about uh, some of these ideas that are circling, circulating in the UFO field about this is basically UFOs have been a psyop since like 47. And I was I curious about what yeah. your thoughts are on that, because there have been UFO sightings before 1947. Oh, sure, sure. And that's why Jacques Vallée and Chris Alberg went back and did a like their whole book, uh, oh, something in the sky. I can't remember the name of it offhand, but it was all cases pre like 1900. 
and it's a full book of of UFO sightings pre 1900. It's not the, the thing about any of this stuff is it's it's been seen cross culture throughout written history in every culture. So something's going on. Now that doesn't mean it's actually what we think it is, but there's something that are causing people to have these experiences and they seem to be a very human experience. Now, as far as disinfo, I think very early on, the government started playing into that in order to hide things. Uh, they came out oh, a couple of years ago saying some of the reports from airline pilots of UFOs in the 1950s, very specific ones, were actually of one of their spy planes. But they only released that now. Uh, so they've used UFOs to, to cover secret projects for a very long time. They have infiltrated UFO groups. Uh, Jacques Vallée has a great book on that called Messengers of Deception. Yep. I have that book sitting on my nightstand. I'm, I'm still trying to get to it. I've got so many <laughs> books piled up, man. But And yeah, then uh, what is it? Oh, Passport to Magonia? Yeah, yeah. I've got that one sitting there, too. So I actually like Dimensions more than Passport. Passport was important because it was the first book that tied the fairy faith to a modern UFO report showing the similarity. And it's dude, it's so funny that you say that, because if I pull up my audiobooks that I just recently purchased, Dimensions is the one I just recently got. So I have three of his books here in the house. Dimensions expands on that and shows the similarities of a lot of other stuff going on as well that we all kind of that is probably from a similar source, isn't necessarily extraterrestrial, but shows the commonalities across multiple different points of weirdness. And that's what I really liked about dimensions and also touches on the fairy faith. It kind of like recaps gateway or uh, passport to Magonia. Uh, but yeah, messengers of deception talks about the UFO group stuff. I mean, you had things like um, uh, Greg Bishop's project beta is a good, good example of uh, disinfo and stuff. He talked, I forget the guy's name. But he talks, you know, about a lot of the disinfo in there that was given, it was told to him straight by one of the people who was a disinfo agent. Um, there's a great documentary too that's escaping. Was my that Doherty? Uh, Dor was yes, that his Doty. name? Yep. Doty. Yep. And like, you know, there are things like the Project Serpco. Uh, I think it's Serpco, very similar to Serpco, whatever it was called, um, where they were feeding the, these releases, leaking these releases to this guy and telling them to publish them publicly. And he was like spell checking them and, and fixing them because they had grammatical errors and spelling errors. And the people who were giving them to him were like, stop doing that. And he's like, but they're they're wrong. And he's like, they're like, that's how they need to be released because they were codes for spies. Disguised oh. as UFO disinf as, as UFO leaks. Interesting. Sound like the uh the old days uh what was it the number stations they used to yeah. have going? Yep, yep. So they those they things were creepy. Yes, they were. They still exist, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so they were posting these things, you know, to communicate with spies. And when he changed them, he was changing the code. <laughs> Dudes ending up <laughs> they're out there operating and doing something completely different that they're not supposed to be doing. This, this code why, why do they want sense. me to buy a cheeseburger today? <laughs> oh, that's so weird. So, yeah, I mean, that there's tons of government disinfo mixed in with this stuff most of the way along. Like, I suspect that Roswell was not so much. I think, I think whatever happened in Roswell was probably related to our government. 
and they either told the guy, oh, just say it's a UFO, or he just thought it was a UFO because he didn't recognize what he was looking at. Uh, and then they pulled it back and then it disappeared until, you know, the 1980s when the M MJ6 documents, you know, were released, which also weren't real documents. Michelle wanted to ask something here. Well, I was going to say, speaking of wild things like government, um, Wayne and I were talking about this. Um, he had brought it up, but I want your take on it. What is the idea behind a wilderness poltergeist? Oh, so that was something I actually came up with um so I was reading uh, Illuminations, and I forget, I always forget the guy's name uh, who wrote it, but I had him on the show, and his idea was that some UFO flaps, where you have areas with lots of UFO activity, could be similar to mass poltergeist activity. And this this struck me and I'm like, Oh my God. And I started thinking about other things. And when people go Bigfoot hunting, you know, they'll get stones thrown at them. They'll get uh, vocalizations. They'll hear mimicry that all the same stuff you get in poltergeist encounters. And it just struck me that, Oh my God, they're actually creating their own poltergeist encounters, but it looks like a, an ape rather than a ghost because they're in the woods. That's what they're expecting it to look like. And it's coming from them, or at least the energy is coming from them. Uh, Joshua Cutchin was the one that said, oh, so a wilderness poltergeist. And we were like, oh, yeah, no, that's perfect. But it's like you're going out into the woods. You're getting away from all the signals and stuff that normally block out, uh, you know, that, that you're inundated with when you're in cities and, and stuff. So you're getting out there. You're getting connecting to nature better. This stuff might just generate better, especially when you're, you know, in a more intense sort of uh, setting where you're going, OK, I'm, we're going to find Bigfoot, you know. Most people who go Bigfoot hunting do not see an ape. They hear and see things that are basically poltergeist activity. That's interesting. So you're you're thinking, and, and some it sounds like some of your guests as well, that these may be manifested by the people going out there. Right. And it could be that something picks up on that energy. I mean, the thing with poltergeist, it's... There's certainly cases that look like it is just coming from a particular person. Uh, but I, I think it's hard to say that it's that person causing it. It very well could be. But the other mm -hmm. possibility is there's something else out there that can draw from that energy. But again, if you go out expecting an ape, your poltergeist is going to resemble an ape, not a ghost. Well, it's kind of the same thing, isn't it, with... Uh like ufos and and seeing aliens and they look differently and there's ideas out there that and i kind of think about this as well that they have a way of manipulating our perceptions have have you run into this and and so, uh, what's your thoughts i think that whatever we're, whatever this other is is not something we have a uh I'm trying to think of the right word for it. Like we don't, we don't have any reference frame for it. So we're dealing with something that, you know, like when, when you look at something, you can, your brain automatically compares it to other things, you know, to try and figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. So I think these things we're encountering are so different that our brain just goes, I, I don't know what that is. And so it has to sort of put a face on it. I mean, what you're getting, what you're seeing when you look around is very little of what's actually in your environment. Your brain is like a, a massive filter taking most of the stuff it figures isn't important out. 
Uh, this may also explain why some people will see something and the person standing right next to them doesn't in some cases. Uh, because one person's brain says, I don't know what that is, but it's there. And the other person's brain goes, I don't know what it is. It's not important. I'm not even going to let you know it's there. Uh, there's a fantastic book on perception called The Invisible Gorilla that talks about a bunch of experiments, psychological experiments they did to show us just how unreliable our senses actually are. Oh, dude, I use that um, with my ninth grade students. I put the video up. Oh, the video, yeah. And tell them to count how many times the basketball is being passed around and the guy in the ape suit walks right through the middle and not a yep. single one yep. sees them. And people will get angry sometimes Yes, when they did it. They're like, well, it's a different video when you show them again. And it's like, no, it's just they call it the illusion of uh, illusion of focus or something like that. Because yeah. when you're focused on something, you're excluding the stuff around it. Yeah. Tunnel vision. But the book, I mean, is that's just a small sliver of all yeah. the, the different experiments they did in the book. And, uh, you know, memory, as they put it, memory is a combination of what actually happened, how you interpreted what happened, and how you feel about what happened. Well, have you, you know, it's interesting that you say that. And, and as I think about this more, I've, I've got some some ideas running in my head because I, I am a pretty good friends with uh, Jared Murphy, who is the author of Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us, you know, kind of debunking the ancient aliens idea, but really saying that, you know, the earth is basically a, a computer that is in a, like a standby mode and that, you know, all of the earth was connected at some point until there was a massive cataclysm, not the end of the younger Dryas, but the eruption of the super volcano Mount Toba in Indonesia. And he said that, you know, Graham Hancock talks about um, Terra Preta being, you know, very important in yes. the, you know, the biochar in the Amazon, but his research has taken him all around the world and wherever he finds people that are very creative uh, like Elon Musk, um, uh, certain businesses and things like that, you find concentrations of uh, Terra Preta in those areas like Minnesota. You know, there's been so many businesses started and huge companies and those people are very, very smart. South Africa, um, lots of Terra Preta down there. And my thoughts have been kind of, what if I people? Didn't realize, I didn't realize Terra Preta was found outside of South America. Yes, yeah, that's why I find fascinating about his stuff, and it, and it also seems to be in areas where they have, and and he's a builder by trade. He's kind of like Randall Carlson in a way, um, and he wants to go underneath a lot of these pyramids and seeing what structures, like those gigantic. Uh, stone um, like uh, spheres that you find on islands and things. His ideas are those are for counteracting earthquake seismic waves. And he thinks I have that, heard that before. Yeah. And he thinks that those you'll find a lot of those things down underground. Um, that's how these giant megalithic structures have survived for so long. But I mean, regardless, it, 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 
if I put that and say, okay, Tara Prada, let's say somebody's out looking for Bigfoot and they happen to come across Tara Prada. They don't realize they're on it and they tap into this energy the, the, of the planet that can actually make this stuff happen. And then I'm thinking as well, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the people that are doing the psychedelic research and how the psychedelic drugs don't speed your mind up. They slow it down so that you are more aware of all the different things in the environment. And that's like what, um, what is it? Hiawaska and things like that do. It slows you down so that you see a totally different world and people are seeing these same images of these entities and things. So I'm wondering if there's a combination that could be uh, manifesting these types of, you know, these, these well, visions or Envi environment definitely has a lot to do with it. Like I said, just even getting out in nature away from all oh, the, yeah. the electromagnetic interference, but also uh, fault lines. Paul Devereaux has shown that so many UFO uh, sightings come along uh, fault lines. Uh, there's earthquake lights, of course, but actual full-out UFO sightings, not just just uh, earthquake lights. Uh, who was who was I talking to? Greg Little said that Devereaux and one of his partners they were looking at one of the Marian apparitions in Egypt, and they said every time this apparition appeared, there was an earthquake happening within 200 miles of it. Yeah, I believe that was in their Origin of the Gods. It is. Yes. Yeah. Cause I yeah. had Greg little on as well. And we were talking about that and yeah, that was a very fascinating stuff. And it didn't, they say that they, they were seeing this pretty regularly. Like, yes. Yeah. Very fascinating stuff. And so it, it just makes me wonder, like it, the earth is just a, a gigantic power plant of, of mysticism. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what well, to think anymore i mean especially as an earth and space science teacher you know i'm 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 coming into all these things and i think about the questions i asked my professors when i was in college and couldn't get a straight answer <laughs> and now i'm seeing a lot of this stuff and then i discovered graham hancock randall carlson i'm like holy crap <laughs> yeah 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 i um uh, what was the other thing oh and you also have to factor in solar activity uh, Robert Schock did a study showing that uh, he, he took all laboratory tests of psychics and such over the last hundred years and showed that their results were consistently better during high solar activity than during low solar activity. What type of solar activity was it? Was it just like CMEs or? Yeah, like sunspots, things like that. Sunspot. Okay. So the, well, that's the, real interesting. The, the, the more active the sun is, the more likely psychics were to score higher on their laboratory tests. As he put it, either there's a conspiracy that's been going on for over a hundred years of psychics to only do well, only to fake good results during high solar activity, <laughs> or the psychics are real and the solar activity has an effect on it. Or maybe people don't realize they're psychic and then these things happen. And then that's, all of a sudden everyone has that, uh, that ability. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people in deja vu, right? I mean, it's like, ooh, you know, but maybe there's some kind of solar activity going on at the time. That's that's those those energy waves, whatever they may be, coming from right. the sun is is doing something to your to your brain. 
and, and Walter Cruttenton, the, the first guy I interviewed there, he uh, in his book, he talks about how we're actually in a binary star system. And that's what drives the cycle of the ages, the uh, the golden, uh, the great year in the, the Greek philosophy and the yuga cycle in the Indian philosophy or Hindu philosophy. Um, and how his belief is that it's Sirius that's moving in a binary relationship with us. And that as Sirius gets closer, we start developing these higher abilities that we had in the golden ages of these, these great, these great years, um, which is what's described that, that people are more psychic. They have all these, these almost superhuman abilities. And, and, you know, I looked at that and then looked at uh, Robert Schock's work and went, well, if one son is doing this to us, what would a second son coming close to our solar system do to us? Well, now that makes me think, is it the Dogons, the Dogon tribe? Yeah. They're, they're, they talk about Sirius B. Yeah. Well, they knew stuff about Sirius or or the stars around it or the plant, whatever it is. They knew about Sirius B before they, they had any reason to know about it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's it, fascinating. It, See, all this stuff starts to tie together once you start to, like, throw some pieces down and seeing what they look like. Um, and Laird Scranton has shown that the Dogon had a very sophisticated cosmology um, that also ties into early Buddhist and early Judaic teaching, teaching suggesting they all kind of came from the same place. That's right. As well as early Egyptian. But the, the, the Egyptian Dogon uh, tie is fairly clear. Now, is it the Dogon that paint their body with that one symbol that you also find now on the back of the Moai on Easter Island as well? And like, uh, I don't know. also, okay, Gobekli Tepe. There's like a, some type of a symbol. And man, I wish I had that stuff written down, but I just recently was, you know, looking into Laird Scranton and uh, his ideas. And I saw that he was on Brothers of the Serpent as well. So I was like, yeah. oh man, I got to listen to this one. You know, there, there's not a, just not enough time in a day and time's a resource <laughs> we never get back. I swear. Yes. Yeah, so, I've, had, I've had Laird on quite a few times. Oh, uh, okay. Really, really awesome guy. Yeah, I, I would love to talk to him about this, but I also want to know more about it because I think there is some kind of a tie between the symbols. You know, if we want to talk about ancient civilizations, that's like my main thing that I'm really into other than UFOs because of what Michelle and I went through. I think we could find that there was some type of a common civilization based on some of the symbols and symbology that we're seeing, you know, what, what does uh, Graham Hancock call those, the, the handbags. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah. Those kind of symbols that appear and go back like Tepe they're in uh, Central America, South America. Um, very fascinating stuff. Yeah. Well, you definitely have that, that tale of basically the civilizers of the, these advanced people who came in and, and after the, the, end of the last ice age and taught people a lot of useful skills and then moved on. Hey everyone. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors and some friends of the podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, this is Ray Shemansky, author of the Alien Shades of Grey's trilogy. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, I'm Greg Little, co-author of Origins of the God with England's Andrew Collins. It's a great book. It's about UFOs and the paranormal, and it gives an explanation. It's not what you think. And you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. of Follow the Reaper podcast, where every episode we examine first and secondhand true paranormal encounters. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jared Murphy of NotAliens.com, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hey there, it's Richard Serrett, occasional weekend guest host of Coast to Coast AM and host of The Conspiracy Show. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle's Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What's up, everyone? This is Burton. And Aaron from Lost in the Dark podcast. And raise your horns because you're listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Gemma Jade from Gemma Jade YouTube, Moon Bear Oracle, Paranormal Chop Shop. You're here listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. 
Hi, this is Chris Lato of the Chris Lato YouTube channel, retired F-16 pilot turned UAP investigator, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. This is Terry Lane Keel, Director of MUFON Memberships, Investigator, Demonologist, and Author of Alien Healing, The True Story of a Benevolent Extraterrestrial. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hello everyone, this is Michael Schrett, military aerospace historian and private pilot, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, and we're glad to have you with us today. Hi, this is Sev Talk from MUFON and the author of You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens and the host of Alien Spirit TV with Sev on YouTube. You're listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? This is Big Willie with the UFO Garage podcast, where we're all about UFOs, aliens, and all things weird. I also run a podcast, Band of Bearded Brothers, with my brother Micah, B-O-B-B for short, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. So take a seat and buckle up as they educate us on all things woo that's what they got on Graham Hancock about, right? About being racist or something yes. like that. As, as And the thing is, because there are, have been groups who have used that for racist, uh, you know, means, whereas Graham is taking the actual stuff from the native peoples and saying, this is what they're saying. How is this racist? Yeah. I, I think telling, telling an indigenous people that they're, their cosmology and their mythology is wrong. Let us tell you how it is as, you know, the educated academic white man, <laughs> we're yeah. going to tell yeah. you what's real and what isn't that's racist. If, if you go to Graham's Twitter, he had a whole long thing. He wrote, I think it was on his Twitter uh, refuting all those points. Yeah. But yeah, I actually, that that's a fairly new accusation uh, that I hadn't heard. You know, I didn't realize that there were so many people who are anti like lost civilization because somehow they feel it's racist. Well, it's because if if I remember correctly, it's because of the whole Aryan race yeah. uh, Nazi thing, because they were was it the Thule Society yes. or they they had some kind of a secret society that was very much into finding these lost civilizations. So if anybody's interested in any kind of ancient civilization stuff, Therefore, you, I mean, right. it's, it's it's a horrible argument. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and the Nazis were into, interested in anything they thought could give them an upper hand. But as far as ancient civilizations, they wanted to prove that they, they came from the master race, uh, right. which were this white area. And they pretty much just invented a lot of that stuff. They took, you know, uh, other stuff and twisted it, uh, Blavatsky stuff and things like that, and twisted it to say what they wanted it to say. What are your thoughts on cryptids? Uh, 
Well, that goes back to our, our not having a uh, reference frame. I think uh, one of my, uh, this is more just a speculation, but if we were to wander through the woods and come across something that we have no reference frame for, just like a wandering bit of consciousness, our brain picks it up and goes, I don't, I don't know what that is. And then your brain goes, well, I don't, I've never seen this before. I'm scared. What am I scared of? Well, I'm scared of monsters. It must be a monster. So your brain then shows you a monster and you go, what the hell? And then you run away because there's, there's a monster. Um, and then no one else ever sees it again because it wasn't actually what it looked like. It's just our brain filling in something to put in that, that spot. Um, Cause a lot of cryptids tend to be like one-off type of things. As far as Bigfoot and all those, I think some of this stuff is co-created. Like it takes its form from us. Like we, we see it as something. So then suddenly you get a flap of that very thing and other people start seeing the same thing because now they have a reference frame. What about like Chupacabra? Cause haven't they found that it's basically some type of a, a species that should not exist and they've, they've killed them down in Texas. No, the the ones in Texas, I think, were mostly mangy coyotes. Okay. Yeah, the the original chupacabra is very alien-ish. But again, it seems like something that could have been a co-creation sort of thing. Like there was a weird, there's something with blood. You know, if you use blood in magic, it's effective. Um, And for some reason, this stuff responds to blood as well. So, you know, it was drinking the blood of goats. That was, you know, chupacabra, I think, means goat sucker. Yeah. Well, so, but what it really was, I don't, you know, I don't know. It's not like anyone's ever caught one. Everything, every time they've caught one, it's basically a mangy, you know, coyote or something to that effect. I I do know that they, I don't know if it, what show it was on, but there was a show and a woman had a ranch and her chickens were being drained of blood. The neighbor hit an animal with the car and it turned out to be, what they were calling the chupacabra and they said it was some kind of a species of a uh n- like a rare northern mexican wolf mixed with a coyote that's what yes. the okay does that make sense then yep yeah something to that effect yeah yeah okay so there are things out there that we <laughs> oh, certainly you um, know i i just talked to uh travis uh watson and in his not his latest book, but his second latest book about uh, Canadian monsters, he talks. I think it's the woolly bison. These are giant bison that we thought were extinct. And uh, one day, someone's flying over some part of Canada, and they're like, "Oh my God, look! It's woolly bison! A whole ton of them!" And these things had existed this whole time, and nobody knew. And they're giant animals. It's just they were out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Wow. That's fascinating. And there's a book that, that I, I heard of that. There's a book I cannot remember the name of, uh, and the guy's name is difficult to remember as well, unfortunately. But it's basically a book on cryptids that have been proven to be real animals. Well, wasn't wish I had more info than that, but I, that's yeah, I know right? I can remember. Uh, thylacine wasn't that like the ta- was it the Tasmanian tiger, and it was more related to like a kangaroo than. Well, that that was thought to be extinct. That wasn't yeah. something we didn't think existed. But there's there's questions of whether or not it still exists. Um, you had the 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 fish there. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of stuff deep in the ocean that we just have no clue about because we don't explore it. 
Well, you know, you, you hit up on something and it was the, the magic word. And I heard you talking a little bit about this in, uh, ages and ages and ages ago. Uh, my first wife, she was a practicing witch, a, a pagan, not my current wife. She gets called a witch and probably a lot of other things, you know, more worse than that. And but... it better not be from him if he wants to sleep through the night. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> nice. But I, I know you're you're a big metal head. So am I. And I was just wondering what is your thoughts of like metal music and it, these all seem to go together with with heavy metal music and i know we're taking like a totally different turn here but Fine. when you brought up magic it's like okay there's always been this mysticism around heavy metal music the dark face paint corpse paint uh the occult yeah satanism you know this dark and gritty stuff so I, this is very open-ended. What's your take on this? And and if you're talking about co-creating and we can co-create these things, um, what are they trying to co-create? What's going on here, man? It, it, can't, it doesn't seem like it should be all that good. <laughs> well, it, it depends. Like, you know, when you, when you look at like early Venom, you know, they're, they're one of the first black metal bands. They were all about Satan. They also weren't all that talented, uh, but they were doing something that was really, <laughs> flying in the face of everyone else you know like this was you know they were there was a shock value to that yeah i always thought of it as like the big metal finger from the or metal middle finger from like the metal heads like you know screw your conformity that's kind of like the age i grew up in in the the 80s and stuff with you know megadeth and metallica and iron maiden and yeah, but venom. They, they didn't yeah venom is the only one there that really had like a, any kind of religious overtones you know right satan and all the other stuff uh merciful fate i mean king diamond had a legitimate interest in that stuff the rest of the band didn't uh but of course king was the one that kind of kind of pushed all that stuff forward and matured a lot with it like when when early on it was just kind of a shock value thing um but yeah, my, if, middle, uh, my middle daughter's named abigail for a reason nice but like you know king diamond solo stuff he doesn't really have the satanic imagery as much you know like it's more horror stories right and he has uh uh oh what's his name i'm blanking lyle uh he's a bigfoot researcher lyle blackburn is literally neighbors with king diamond he's like one of his close he's a close friend of his and he was telling me that king uh has a very strong spiritual path but he doesn't really talk about it or share it yeah. um martin popoff just uh just re-released his book on merciful fate and some of the early stuff in there is interesting where king's talking about some of his weird experiences and way ahead of his time talking about how he doesn't know what this stuff is so he's not going to define it like these things happen and he's not gonna like put a label on it because he's afraid it's going to limit whatever he's experiencing and i saw that went wow you're about 20 years 30 years ahead of your time here yeah well you know i when i first was listening to merciful fate and king diamond it was like uh I started to become interested in numbers because, you know, him and, you know, 18 is actually dying. And I'm like, where is he getting this from? And then I start digging into it. And I'm like, well, now I know nine is my favorite number. <laughs> <laughs> All the cool things you can do with nine. So I, I think, I think a lot of the bands are just, 
you know, it's it's a fun thing for them. You know, they're they're casually interested in it. They, they feel, you know, I mean, it varies band to band, but I think a lot of them are just like it's it's fun. It's you know, they're rebelling, they're doing whatever. Because um, if you look at something like the Satanic Temple, it's not even. I mean, even though they're technically a religious group, um, they're not so much a religion as a uh, sort of more a socio-political type of group, you know, with using Satan just as a, the opposite of everything our culture has come to be. And even Anton LaVey, when he started the church of Satan, he wasn't, it wasn't like, yes, this is about being evil. It's about if that's, you know, he was a, he was a crime scene photographer and he would see these people go and commit these heinous crimes and then go to church on Sunday and get forgiven for them. And he was like, well, if that's what, you know, Catholicism is about, then I want the opposite. I want something that holds you responsible for your actions. And so he created the Church of Satan, kind of tongue in cheek, but then it caught on. So now you have the Satanic Temple who have evolved that, and they're pushing for, you know, individual freedoms and things like that, and respecting other people's belief systems, which most, a lot of religions, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of religions, especially the fundamentalist ends of them, do not do. So, you know, the term Satan becomes that of um, rebelling against the the accepted traditions, in a sense. Well, where does magic come into all this? And, and you talked a little bit about in this episode I was listening to, as a matter of fact, just today, uh, something to do with chaos magic. What What is that? kind of all about? And how does that fit into all of this stuff? Is this part of that co-creating? Are you... Are you able to do certain things that can bring in this stuff or so chaos magic is sort of the opposite uh, end uh, of ceremonial magic. So ceremonial magic, the more traditional form of magic is very much like, okay, here's what you do. Here's how you do it. You have to have these things on hand. You have to pray to these entities, so on and so forth. Chaos magic says, okay, it doesn't really matter what you're praying to like, like you just need to get the, uh, the core of it, right. And the core of it comes down to things like meditation and focus and being able to release that stuff as well, because whatever changes you make to reality happen on an unconscious level, you're not doing it consciously, unless you're physically doing something, you know, I mean, uh, Crowley would define, magic as any anything you did that manipulated reality which included picking up a glass it's low magic but it's magic because you're manipulating reality high magic would be uh contacting what he called the holy guardian angel which is really your higher self so magic is the aim to change things that you can't just reach out and change changing things on another level. And you do that by, by affecting your unconscious mind, which if we are creating reality, it's coming from our unconscious. And the difference with uh, chaos magic is that you can use, you sort of strip down all the pomp and circumstance out of it and go with what works for you. You don't worry about following a particular tradition is vision boards and things like the secret is that do you think that falls into that category of magic manifesting uh vision boards like Ouija boards no like you know if you want to have a million dollars at some point or you want to have a lot of money you 
make a poster board and you put everything that represents pictures of money, you know, on that stuff. And are you manipulating, you know, is, is the point to manipulate the universe without you really knowing it to bring those into existence? I mean, I'm it was sure. like a big Oprah thing. I don't know how. how yeah, we got no, to I, like no I, I know. I know what the secret is and stuff. I just didn't yeah. like the vision boards. Um, so that's kind of like the the surface level of doing magic. Like if you take take okay. all the substance away, that's what you're left with. Oh, if you just really want something really bad, but it doesn't really work like that. Hmm. Um, I think people get convinced it works like that because you know, they, they may be working a little bit of magic, but how many of those people are millionaires, you know, um, probably none, but if you focus, I mean, if you just focus your, your stuff on, you know, focus yourself on something, yeah, you're probably going to be able to achieve it, but you're going to have to work for it. I mean, magic doesn't just hand you things. You can't just manipulate reality to be what you want it to be. I mean, that, that would make life kind of uninteresting, really. You would just have what you wanted whenever you wanted it. It's kind of, right. I think it would just be boring. I mean, life is meant to be a challenge. Um, for whatever reason, we're here to learn how to under, over, overcome those challenges. Um, or we're just playing a big video game that's really challenging. One of, one of the two. Um, but you figure even people who have a lot of money, I mean, how many millionaire, you know, millionaire musicians and stuff have killed themselves? Because they were just, they were unhappy. Right. I'm thinking like uh, Kurt Cobain and uh, the guy from uh, Soundgarden. Yeah. <gasps> yep. Yeah. But that's a different conspiracy theory, too. But we won't talk about that. Right. And, right. and also uh, the one singer from Linkin Park. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Bennington. Bennington. Yeah. 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 Or Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Yeah. That was Chris Cornell. That was yes. uh, yeah. Soundgarden. But you're right, though. I mean, you you hear about these people being successful and they're the most unhappy people in yeah. the world. Yeah. Not all of them, but it, a lot yet. of them, it, it cause changes your life in a way that you can't connect to people as easily. You probably can't trust people as easily because you never know who's just using you. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like, if I, if I don't necessarily want to be rich, but if I could make enough money to pay my bills, I'd certainly be a lot happier. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like oh, your way I of thinking. Easily, I could easily pay my bills every month and not have to worry about it. Yeah, it's going to make me much happier than I am now. <laughs> right. But I don't need to be a millionaire. I mean, if I was a millionaire, I'd probably give a lot of it away. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. The way the house market's going, <laughs> if you want a decent house, you're going to spend a lot of that million. That's true. That is very <laughs> true. <laughs> I mean, uh, upkeeping a house gets really expensive, but I mean, so, I mean, as far as, you know, stuff like the secret, that's kind of just one of those things that it's like, yeah, it's taking stuff that has substance, making it really simplistic and then trying to market it to people. That's, that's putting it in the realm of like the mainstream pop culture kind of yes. thing, isn't it? Yeah. Somebody, somebody with a production company or something got wind of this and said, Hey, let's make this like a documentary. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. what about alchemy? Are we in the same, same realm when it comes to magic and things like that? 
with alchemy? Sort of. I mean, alchemy's changing. Is that a science? So it started out, I mean, things like chemistry and stuff like that started with, with alchemy. But like alchemy too, the most the more esoteric sides of alchemy are about changing yourself. It's not about changing, uh, you know, lead into gold. I mean, that's sort of a metaphor. Although I'm sure there were people trying to turn lead into gold because, you know, why wouldn't you? But like in, in the esoteric world, alchemy has more of a... Uh, of a uh, self-awareness sort of thing, you know, getting to know your, yourself, working on yourself, evolving yourself. Um, Jacques Vallée has, has shown a, uh, some of his more recent interviews, talks about the UFO stuff being alchem alchemical in a sense. And I think a lot of the UFO stuff holds a lot in common with like uh, shamanic practices. I think we're seeing something that is possibly trying to wake us up uh, to you know what who to who we really are but it's being hijacked by our culture yeah i i agree with that 100 percent. if you look at everything that we are like electronically addicted to i mean the distraction devices of phones the constant bombarding of the signals of you know wi-fi signals and all that you can't tell me that these things are not doing stuff to the human body absolutely you know, and, and it, it's, see, to me, that's exactly kind of what the world has kind of been set up to. And it happened, it almost seems like, you know, with the cell phones and the internet and the mass distractions, it almost seemed like it happened overnight to where Michelle and I being teachers, we see the effect of what these cell phones and, you know, what, what they have on the kids. I mean, it's really, really bad to see a kid that's been, you know, raised with a cell phone, like a little cyborg from the age of five. And then we have to deal with, uh, you know, IEPs about a child who's ADHD, but yet the parents are sending them into the school with a damn cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's reliance on the stuff it's not that the technology is is bad in itself it's the fact that we are so reliant on it and when kids are raised on this stuff they they lack social finesse they 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 become crippled by that reliance yeah i mean i think we all are to some degree i mean because we're just used to using our phones for everything oh yeah we're paying bills we're booking flights we're yeah. you know you it, look something it's up, a, yeah you know? it's a good tool they're good yes, tools absolutely yeah. Um, it's just when and, the tool becomes the master is the problem. Exactly. And I, and I always find it amusing how often teachers, when I was growing up, would say, well, it's not like you're going to have a calculator in your pocket when you grow up. <laughs> no, we're going to have a full out computer. Yeah, fair enough. We got more computing power in our pocket than what took people to the moon. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. It's like and, we're going to be able to find your personal photos on your social media and airdrop them to all our friends while you're teaching class. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, in that, that, you know, there's because everything's available at your fingertips, it changes the way that kids develop. That's a big thing. The brain development, you know, and, and also being, uh, you know, like anything sexual is so easy to find online. So if you're, you know, a kid, you can just look up whatever you want. You know, most of those sites will just say, are you 18? Yes. Okay, fine. You can come in, you know, and 
they're being numb to this stuff. Yeah. And they don't have to worry about dealing with relationships at all, whether, you know, sexual or not sexual. It's how do you deal with people? And all they have is like this little black screen in their hand that yeah. they interact with and they don't interact with real people. Yeah, exactly. Or they interact only through that little black screen. Right. So you're dealing with real people, but you're not, it, it lacks all the social cues and stuff. Yeah. My wife teaches mythology as part of her. her I have a degree uh, in theater. I, and, and, you know, one of the things that I noticed too, is like the lack of being able to make eye contact. We were talking about interpersonal connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and the fact that you go to have a conversation now with a student, they're looking off to the left, they're looking to the right, they're looking down, they're looking up. They will sustain eye contact for less than five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, with you teaching mythology, you know, there's the whole new hieroglyphs, the emojis. Oh, yeah. Or I've yeah. seen people have like whole conversations just using these new uh, 2020 uh, <laughs> um you know, emojis, you know, I, I'm, I'm becoming quite good at that myself. See, yeah. <laughs> well, we can thank Twitter because if you want to say something, you better do it in 140 characters or less. Yeah. Talk about encouraging short attention spans. Yes. Or and only I'm, reading headlines and news articles, you know, people yep, make up yep. their mind as soon as they read a headline, they don't care about the substance. And the headlines are almost always misleading. They're almost, if they're not out and out clickbait, they're like, um, so I live in New York state and there was one that popped up that said, this is the first January that uh, New York state stayed above freezing for the entire month of January. And I, well, that's BS. It was below freezing here. And I clicked on the article and it's like in the Hudson Valley. (laughs) Oh, Okay, so your New York State apparently just consists of the Hudson Valley. All right, great. Hey, have you ever had Graham Hancock on your show? I have not. I've talked to Graham. Okay. Uh, I've never had him on the show. What about Randall Carlson? I thought I heard you I, say you oh had yeah, Randall I've, on. I've had Randall on from long before he was associated with Graham. Okay. I had actually heard, maybe in my first couple of years I had him on, uh, I had heard him on Red Ice Radio talking about all this stuff. Oh. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? I need this guy on my show. Oh, my God. You know, you bring up Red Ice Radio years and years ago. I think I had stumbled upon that show and they they yanked it. Didn't With they Randall? take? No, the, uh, the, the whole show, Red Ice oh, Radio. Okay. Well, wasn't he out of Sweden or something? Was- he was out of Sweden. I think he yeah. was out of Sweden, but he, he went, you know, he started having a lot of like Holocaust deniers on and things like that. Oh, so a lot okay. of places like and that became his focus rather than like the paranormal stuff. Like when okay. I was listening to it, he had Graham Hancock on Robert shock, Micah Hanks, like, like UFO ufologists, ancient, you know, uh, civilization people. And he did really good interviews. But it got more and more political as time went on, and it got very extreme right with some of it. Hmm. And that's where he, you know, I stopped listening, and I think he got pulled off of a lot of services because of it. So if you were given one opportunity to study one of these topics in this whole wide, like, ufology, cryptids, 
ancient civilizations, all of that. You look at all of this stuff and you were given an opportunity. Look, Soraya, you get $2 million to pursue whatever you want, but it can only be one thing. What would you pursue? I don't know because I mean, I would probably say UFOs just because I think UFOs are probably the more pure version of whatever we're experiencing. But I think it's all connected, so I, I I don't know where to draw those lines, you know. Like so, if you're investigating a UFO uh, sighting that then also has a Bigfoot sighting, in, you know, attached to it, do you just ignore the Bigfoot because that's what we've been doing up to this point? I heard somebody talking about this not too long ago, like people that are looking into Bigfoot, if they see something that they think might be like spiritual ghost related or whatever they won't report it or no. if no. it's a ufo if they see a ufo though people have said that it seems like bigfoot and ufo sightings go hand in hand yeah well timothy renner uh i once i kind of shook him of the the flesh and blood idea for bigfoot by pointing out the poltergeist activity and then he's when he's talked to bigfoot witnesses he would ask them have you ever seen any weird lights in this area have you you know did anything else weird happen and Almost every single time they'd be like, oh, yeah, but what does it have to do with Bigfoot? You know? Yeah. And you know what? You bring that up. And we recently had on the state um, director of MUFON for Michigan here because we did a whole series of interviews with Jack Bouchong and the whole um, Unsolved Mysteries, um, something in the skies about the 1994 Michigan, Western Michigan UFO flap that they have the radar oh, yeah. data. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we had both of them on. And, you know, that was one thing Bill said as well, when they would go out and look at these UFO sightings and the, they would have people say, oh, and by the way, uh, we've seen ghosts in our house or, you know, and it seems to be almost like a generational thing. Which makes me think, okay, is that the land, the food you guys are eating together? Is it a genetic connection? All yeah. the above? What's going on here? That, you know, and that's a really good question. My, my favorite story for that is when I had Seth Breedlove on talking about, uh, I think it was the Minerva monster. No, it was, uh, what, which, it was the one in New York State. I can't remember if that was the Minerva. I think that was uh, Beast of Whitehall. Maybe that's what it was. Hmm. And, you know, this is a Bigfoot encounter, but a lot of it, you know, it's like rocks being, you know, being thrown on this house and stuff. And I'm like, so and I'm going to him. So poltergeist activities like, well, but, you know, monkeys throw rocks, too. I'm like, right. But what you're describing, if you take the Bigfoot sightings out, because people actually saw a beast at, at different times. Um, but the poltergeist activity happened separately. And I'm like, so they're experiencing poltergeist activity. And I'm like, was there a UFO report? And he kind of paused for him and he's like. Well, the UFO landed on the lawn of the neighbor across the street around the same time. He's like, but I don't see how that's connected. And I'm like, <laughs> and this is why we don't know these things are connected because they get left out because it's like, well, what do space aliens have to do with this, you know, ape in the woods? Well, it's probably not an ape in the woods. and They're probably not space aliens. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yeah. But I just you wonder. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of the problem with the last hundred years of research is that we don't know very important things like what else was going on. Like, were there any other was there any other weirdness in these sightings? Because most researchers didn't record it. They only recorded what they were looking for. 
they, it's almost like they self compartmentalized. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a ufologist. That means I don't look at anything else, but UFOs, not only that, but liminal states play a big part in this stuff. So what was going on in someone's life when they had an unusual encounter turns out to be very important. Um, my big UFO sighting happened at like one of the biggest, you know, changes in my life. Uh, I was just going to ask you about, uh, like what is one of your, you know, top, uh, sightings or whatever paranormal experiences you had. Oh God, that, that gets weird. Um, (laughs) but, but the UFO, I saw a huge UFO over Cayuga Lake. Uh, the thing was gigantic. I was going to my radio show at the time. I pulled over and I watched it slowly descended to the lake. And I was like, okay, that was enormous and blinding and, and all this. And I, I noted everything down. And then I think I was talking to Mike Cleland and Mike goes, what was going on in your life at the time? I'm like, I, I don't know. I've taken notes actually since 1990. Uh, and I, went back and I looked at when that UFO sighting happened and I went, Oh, Oh, like I had just gotten out of a very important relationship. I started a new job. Uh, the radio station had just switched buildings and a bunch of other stuff was happening. I'm like, so a huge shakeup of my life just happened. And then I saw a giant UFO. And so I've been, I've been working on an autobiography and as I'm going through and I'm going, yep, not only do the weird, the weird things that happen to me tend to happen in uh, packs, you know, in little flaps of, of activity, but they also tend to happen around the time things are shifting or are stressful in life. So this is another question that no one's been asking people for the last hundred years, which is a simple one of what was going on in your life at the time. You could probably find that stress is a good motivator for these stress, things stress can definitely bring on pk energy so if someone suddenly starts having a poltergeist you know my first question is so what's going on are you really stressed out and almost always they're like well yeah all this stuff is happening it's like there's your poltergeist i mean there may be an a a, a something out there that's taking that energy from them and using it or they're just projecting it outward because that's how they're dealing with the stress see then this makes me think of because I'm I'm very interested in people like Wim Hof, Steg Severinsen, uh, David Goggins, these people who can push their bodies to do amazing things when they shouldn't be able to based on like the power of their mind. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but to go and think about where could we really be as a people? And especially if we get into one of these solar uh, activity cycles, right? Seems like the sun's doing some weird things lately. Um, you know, it just it makes me wonder: Are we really more like like caged rats that are not allowed to really explore our full potential? I, I don't know. It just it just seems like there's a lot more out there that. As long as we're kept fat, dumb, and happy, and we're we're making money and paying taxes and keeping the system going, the less human we are. True. And I don't know if it's even by design. 
I think it's just the way things have come about because they've mm. been so materialistic. You know, we for a long time, at least a hundred years now, we've shunned anything that's not material. You know, science has decided that all that exists is the material universe, so we don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah, until you ask them about how much space there is in atoms and <laughs> you know, and then they try to convince you that, you know, the desk that's sitting in front of you is solid, but it's really made up of empty space. Sure. Well, it's all vibration. Everything's vibration. And that may be where some of this, this, uh, these things come from is a different vibratory state that we can't normally access. And they start moving into one that we can interact with, or we become more sensitive to that, that, uh, that state. Um, most of these encounters, no matter what they are, involve lights, whether they be cryptids, Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, lights yes. are one of the most common things you see running through all this. And that could be the first sort of um, movement into our visible spectrum of these things. You know, you bring up lights and, and when Michelle and I saw this gigantic triangle that was at the the intersection of a freeway we had to get on here in, in Southwest Detroit area. And uh, we were just, I don't know, maybe 18 miles North of Detroit Metro airport. And when I first saw these three bright lights, I thought it was an airliner getting ready to crash. It was at two 30 in the morning. So not a lot of cars out, but there it's a busy part of the, the suburb of Detroit. And I saw these bright lights. I'm like, oh, those are landing lights. This is not going to be good. That's a huge airliner coming down. That's all you could see were the lights. As we got closer to it, I noticed the lights weren't really moving much at all. And as we got closer, Michelle was like, when did our military get something like that? And I said, uh, that's not our military. It was a gigantic. It had to be about 300 feet on a side. Black triangle hovering there. I want to say maybe 150 feet off the ground or so. I mean, I, I'm a trained observer. I was in the military. I was in the, the infantry. So you learn how to. It was right at the tops of the trees. Yeah, it was like at the tops of the trees and the, <laughs> the buildings that were there. But the funny thing was, well, there's a lot of funny things. But the lights, the there was a light in each one of the corners, uh, like an orb, and it was so damn bright, but it did not illuminate anything around it. And it was really, really bizarre. And have you ever heard of these things being very bright lights, but then nothing, no trees, yes. nothing on yeah. the ground was being illuminated at all? That is actually very common. Really? Yeah. Okay. And the one I saw didn't seem to be illuminating anything, but it was so when, when I first I was driving along the road and I thought someone was driving up from the lake with their brights on because it was blinding me. And I was like, whoa, come on. What the hell? Turn your brights off. And then it kept going. It didn't stop. And I'm like, okay, how am I still being blinded? And I kind of squinted through it and went, what the hell am I looking at? And wow. so I pulled over and I, I, I'm like watching the thing and there's no noise. There was no Oz effect. There was no weird, you know, anything. It was just normal, but the thing was so bright, but nothing was lit up because of it. And I couldn't actually see if there was, it looked like the lights were in a solid formation and there was some spinning around it, 
uh, that gave it the illusion of there being an object there, but I couldn't actually see an object because all I could see were the lights. You know, that's interesting that you say that because we got very close to the thing because I heard a voice in my head that said, you don't belong here. Get away from here. Get away from here. And I was instantly terrified. Like, hmm. I, I don't know what the voice was or anything. And I am not usually a person that gets easily like freaked out about things. And I was instantly just like, we're gunning it. And Michelle's got the window down. She's like, it's not making any noise. It's just kind of sitting there. And as we drove we we pretty much went under like the side of it, if I'm remembering correctly, almost under it. And I looked up out of the driver's side and I couldn't really see the body because the whole thing looked like a heat mirage, mm. like like um, like heat coming off a blacktop in the summer. I couldn't make out any details, but I could tell there was a body there. Were, there was a structure there but it was all wavery and with those three lights going. And then it was just like, okay, we're getting out of here. Then the thing rotated and then moved parallel along the freeway with us. And then we lost sight of it for maybe a couple seconds. And then when we came back out of the sound abatement area and we look over on the freeway where it should have been, it was just gone. And then people were telling us, yeah, we saw something like that. Uh, 20 miles to the west near ann arbor and you know these reports kept coming in to us um about people who had seen that and it was the the most it, it totally rocked my world as to okay there's sci-fi and all of this stuff but what the hell is this and i just i cannot through normal logical means explain what it was there was nothing aerodynamical about it there was no sound um but any logical means that i can say okay it was our military and they're testing a, a huge craft over a populated area um within the busy airspace of detroit metro airport just to the south um that makes no sense it's not something that we have it's not us doing that well it could be it could be because they would do that because it would get dismissed as a ufo report mm. um i mean it doesn't mean that that's what it was but i could see them doing that to see what the perception of it was how many people report it things like that mm. um we do i mean giant triangles are something we do have uh what year was this this was 2018 18. okay yeah so i mean that that In march that, that's within, you know, well within the time period that it could have been us. But it seems like there are also genuine anomalous stuff that looks the same way where you almost have to wonder if the, the military copied it. Right. Um, and there's also this. And, I, and I've, I've talked about this before. There are ads now that you can you can uh, focus on a person standing in a certain spot. So this uh, the one I, I grabbed to save. uh it says this anti-child abuse ad helps kids speak out by displaying a message only they can see. So the, the bulletin board was only uh, visible to children. Uh, mm. They've had movie posters that if you stand in a certain place in front of them, it will speak to you. But only if you're standing in a very specific spot. So this tech exists. 
And if they're using it on commercial applications or, you know, to help stop child abuse or whatever, Mm -hmm. that means the military and other corporate entities have probably had it for decades. But, you know, the thing is, like, even if what you saw was military, it opened you up to realizing there's other things out there. It sure did. (laughs) No joke about that. Yeah. I mean, for both of us, I mean, it was 2.30 in the morning. We're just trying to drive home from a a late night dose of bingo with the old ladies, you know, and they get (laughs) full contact bingo going, you know, with those thousand dollar progressive not full contact i call it full contact because when you start winning bingo with those old ladies around you they start drawing daggers and stuff they're gonna hear (laughs) you using the word old and you'll have not have to worry about Uh, that almost officially old (laughs) i mean but age is just a number that is true all right well you know soraya this has been awesome we've been going over an hour almost an hour and a half in uh just got a couple other quick little questions sure, for you. Sure. Do you have any ties to Michigan at all? We always no. ask this question. Uh, other than a couple of my co-hosts coming from there. I believe Ren lives in uh, Michigan. Oh, okay. And, uh, Taylor, I think, lives in Michigan. Uh, where does Aaron Gullius? I might also be Michigan. Uh, oh, and you're, where are you located? Are you Pennsylvania? I am dead center of New York State. Oh, New York State. Okay. Uh, Rogan from Project Archivist is in Michigan. So I know a lot of people in Michigan. All right. So you definitely have so ties. So therefore to you have ties to <laughs> yes. Michigan. I don't I don't have any direct ties. Like I've never been there or anything like that, but I know a lot a lot of people I know come from Michigan. Yeah. Well, we have some very interesting sightings around here, and I think it has a lot to do with like our our water or you know, the very deep uh you know freshwater lakes that we have around us entirely possible yeah uh water definitely seems to be one of the factors that that i mean it's hard to say because water's everywhere yeah uh but water seems to have an effect on our environment and our perception of the paranormal that is uh there's something to it it's hard to quite navigate down what it is but there's something there yep i agree and uh just to wrap things up here, why don't you go ahead and like plug your show, any books you've worked on or upcoming speaking engagements or shows you're going to be releasing soon, anything so, like that? Well, uh, where did the road go is where did the road go.com. And that's every single week. I've 10 years. I've never missed a week. Uh, there are times where there's been more than one show a week, uh, but there's been at least one show every week. If you like metal, especially if you want to hear newer, you know, or even older, more obscure stuff, that's my my show, The Last Exit for the Lost, which is thelastexit.org. And that is also every week and has been, I think I've missed maybe three or four weeks in the almost 29 years I've done this, all weather related. Um, I am working on a couple of books, but they're not going to be out for a while. There's a documentary coming out. Uh, probably in the next month or so. That'll be uh, info will be on where the road goes stuff. All my social media stuff is there. Uh, let's see. Yeah, no speaking engagements at the moment. I think that's about it, really. Any chance you're heading down to Asheville to go to the Cosmic Summit? I was just going to ask that. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, with uh, Randall and Graham and it's all about the you know, they're 
research into uh, ancient civilizations and catastrophes and stuff. Hmm. And Graham Hancock's going to be there. Yeah, Randall Carlson. You just say Graham. It's just Graham. Yeah, just Graham. People that know Graham, it's just Graham. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a cool dude. And I, I've got my flight and hotel and everything booked to go down there. So I'm just really excited to get down there and and be at one of these conventions and and see these guys. I'm I'm very stoked about it because the ancient civilizations and the the high tech, you know, hypothesis and the all of the uh, evidence that's all around from tubular drills and all of this stuff all around the world, pyramids all around the world. There's the something that was going on. Yeah, the sonic technology I find very interesting because the thing is, you know, a lot of skeptics, the debunking skeptics will say, well, we're the Coke cans. It's like it doesn't mean they had a, an advanced society like ours. Right. You know, Graham repeatedly says, you know, I'm not talking about some space age society. I'm talking about a seafaring civilization, which is not that crazy of a claim. They might have been more advanced. Uh, but there also could be numerous advanced civilizations that have been wiped off the face of the planet. Yeah, and you would, won't find any trace of them other than things that would stick around like stone. Right. I mean, and if if we all just there was a show on Discovery or something like years ago called uh, Earth Without People or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yep. And they, they postulate what would happen if everyone disappeared tomorrow. And within 10,000 years, there would be no trace of us left except for the pyramids, the Great Pyramids, <laughs> and possibly the Hoover Dam. Everything else would be gone. Yep. So if, so if there was a civilization here 100,000 years ago, the chances of, of us finding anything from that are slim to none. But it's not just finding it, it's also recognizing it. Because it could be a civilization so different from the way ours developed that it wouldn't look anything like what we would expect it to look like. Well, you know, and nobody's ever come up with a good explanation for those amazing uh, vase, you know, the, the, the granite vases and the boxes uh, like Saqqara. Yep. You know, the precision in those things. I mean, you're going to tell me a pounding stone and a chisel, copper chisel. No, I just, not only that, but these civilizations pop up fully formed with all this tech and then slowly lose it. Yeah. How is that possible? Like we've gotten better over the last hundred years with our technology. You know, you're supposed to progress on top of your technology. How did like the ancient Egyptians have all of this stuff to be able to do the great pyramid of Giza and everything and then kind of fade away? <laughs> Because it what they they were being taught by someone else that must yep. not have shared that except among certain people, yep. And eventually yep. that got lost. So they were still building pyramids, and they're still impressive structures, but they're not the Great Pyramid. Yeah, yeah, and you can tell you can tell like when the the work gets you know very shoddy as yeah. time goes on. Yeah. So, all right, man, this has been awesome and we'll have to catch up again and, and do this absolutely. again and have you come on, man. It would be awesome. And, uh, absolutely love to talk to you again, but we're going to go ahead and wrap this up for the night and, uh, 
get ready to go to work tomorrow. So. <laughs> 4.30 comes early. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I'm sure. All right, man. Well, thank you very much yet again for coming on the podcast. And I want to thank you for joining us, man. Have yeah. a good night. Thank you, Soraya. Absolutely. Michelle, that was a very interesting interview. Um, man, there was so much to talk about. He had so much knowledge. It was hard to stick to one thing and just wanted to throw a lot at him for this first appearance on our podcast. I mean, what'd you think? It's like, go to the left. We start talking about this. It's like, I'm ready to talk about paranormal. Oh, let's kind of turn this way. We're going to start talking about heavy metal. So <laughs> I, we definitely need to get him on the live because... Burden would have a blast. Yeah, it'd be a, a lot of fun. Um, I've always been interested in in the whole metal scene when it comes to their involvement with occult or secretive knowledge and magic and things like that. Just because I guess that music style lends itself well. Oh, here's the thing. This man's got some stories to tell and we did not have him on long enough. So that is definitely... Uh, the, this is going to be an interview that gets continued. Yeah, there's going to have to be a part two here. So, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Um, we're going to cut it short here. Remember, head on over to Linktree. Yep. Check out our links. If you want to help support the podcast, you just click on that Linktree link. It'll take you to a PayPal, buy us a coffee. Michelle always needs coffee. Our merchandise store link. And all kinds of other ways you can help out the podcast if you choose to do so. All right, Michelle, I think we should get out of here. Let's make it official. It's time for the weekend, folks. So we're going to bid you adieu. Adieu? Adieu. We're raising your eyebrows like that. All right, everybody. We're out of here. And remember, keep your eyes to the sky. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time.